1: This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from Indicloud. Is Indicloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. Head over to intocloudco spring24. That's co.com to snag 30% off your first order.
0: Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. On April 1st, 2008, Sky Lynn Budnick took a one-way flight to Japan. She was just 21 years old. She didn't tell anyone that she was planning to take this trip, and she hasn't been seen or heard from since i had a listener send me this story because sky's sister megan has become the most incredible advocate for her over on tiktok sharing her story and experience and keeping sky's name out there tonight i'm going to use my platform to share sky's story as well using the information that i've been able to gather but i want to make this point very clear once you're done listening here Please head on over to Megan's TikTok account. Listen to her videos. This is her story and her sister's disappearance. Nobody can tell it better than Megan can. Her username is Megan LeBron, all one word, and I'll include a direct link to Megan's account in my show notes. I actually want to start by talking a little bit about Sky's sister, Megan. I started working on this episode a couple of weeks back. And it's taken me so long to finish it because Megan's videos really just hit a nerve with me. I cover a lot of unsolved cases on my podcast, which requires hours and hours of researching and reading really difficult content, horrific topics to the point where I have to sort of put up this wall, this barrier, and separate my own emotions from what I'm listening to or reading about. But hearing Megan... It's just impossible to not feel all of the feelings that surround this very difficult situation, someone losing their sister. And with Megan, she not only discusses her sister's disappearance, but she talks about her own struggles with mental illness and PTSD. Things that we don't really consider when we hear about a missing person. We know, of course, that the family is hurting but we don't really think about the long-term ramifications of just not knowing what happened to your loved one. Megan does an incredible job of exploring that. She is amazing. She's so strong and yet vulnerable. And while her story is heartbreaking, her openness shows her true strength. She discusses her coping mechanisms like fitness and hiking and just keeping herself busy while also being real about how these kind of tactics kind of assist her in avoiding facing her real emotions. You know, masking, pushing down any unresolved issues, but her sister is still missing. It's not resolved. It's still a struggle for her every day because there hasn't been closure. She can't grieve because there's no body, and really nobody knows if she's alive or dead or what has happened. So again, I highly encourage you to go on over to TikTok to listen to Megan herself once you're done with this episode. Now, at the time of her disappearance, Skye was 21 years old, and it's said that she had a real passion for anything related to Japan. She loved the culture and aesthetic, but she particularly enjoyed anime and manga. She always dreamed of one day getting the opportunity to visit, and she was going to be making that happen through the international studies course that she was taking in school. One of the cool things about this course was that they offered a study abroad program in Japan, which would make it much more feasible for her to be able to actually get to Japan. It would have been a really incredible opportunity for her. However, Skye, she was struggling to keep up with her studies. She was falling asleep in class, and she appeared to be suffering from depression, which ran in her family and was something that she had been battling for a while. A year prior to going to Japan, she wrote on her Facebook page the following, I hate me. I hate how easy it is to get my hopes up, and how it's even easier to send them crashing down into the abyss is it strange one moment i can be fine or even extremely happy and then some little bad thing happens and all joy shatters and i want to die or rip myself to shreds if asked what's wrong or if i'm all right what can i say i don't know what's wrong people ask but they accept that things are okay when i say i'll be fine can't you see that i'm not okay I don't like for people I don't trust to see my tears, but here I am crying in front of these people I hardly know. And despite all the times they tried to make me feel better before, all they do is yell at me when it's their fault I can't do my job. I wonder what tomorrow will bring. If they say it's my fault, I'll leave. How is it my fault when that man doesn't do his job? It's his job to make sure we have everything we need, and we have nothing. I can't go running around looking for all the things I need to do, my job, when the customer is waiting. Why does no one help me? Why is it that two to four people work in one area while I'm all alone? How can they have the time to talk, laugh, and sing along with the store radio while I'm left stressed, rushing, and crying? I hate my work ethic. Why is it that I feel obligated to do my best, to not leave work unfinished, and to work through my breaks and lunch to get it all done because no one else will cover while I'm on break. Why do I feel like I should be nice to these people when they walk all over me? I hate that these pointless little things hurt so much. I hate that I cry when I'm alone in a crowd. I hate that it hurts when people notice me, and that it hurts when they don't notice me. I'm a contradiction. I want to be seen, but I also don't. I crave to be the center of attention— Yet, I'm afraid of attention. I don't get it. Why can't I speak when I know exactly what to say? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if my self-loathing depresses you. I'm sorry if my apologizing about my pain aggravates you. But what else can I do? I'm sorry for being weak, and I'm sorry for even typing this up. But I'm tired of this unidentifiable pain. I'm tired of crying for no reason. I'm tired of being scared, but what else can I do? This was posted in 2007, and her last post on Facebook showed up in October of 2007, where she talked about planning a hike and a picnic with friends. In it, she says, I'm inviting all of those interested to join me for a hike slash picnic this Saturday, October 20th. Why? Because I'm hiding from work, and I've run out of random destinations to go, and don't feel like winding up in Massachusetts again for no reason. If I had a reason, maybe things would be different. So it's pretty clear that at this time in her life, she was getting sick and tired of the mundane and familiar, even back then. She was really struggling with her depression, and you can tell she wanted things to get better. She just had no idea how. I'm not sure if she had stopped using Facebook altogether in 2008, or if maybe she had started a new secret account. We don't know but the one that's still searchable today, she only has 30 friends on it, and only a few sporadic posts that, like I said, stop in 2007. Either way, she clearly wasn't big into using Facebook in 2008 when she disappeared. So while we can't garner much from her social media account, we do know from her sister that Sky was devastated when her application to study abroad in Japan was denied because she missed the deadline. It was a low blow, the straw that broke the camel's back, and she decided that she was going to take things into her own hands. We don't know why, because we haven't been able to ask Skye, but she decided to purchase a one-way plane ticket to go to Japan. This was actually the second time that she had done this. It would later be discovered that she had purchased a ticket to Japan earlier on in the year, but for some reason she changed her mind and decided not to go at that time. Before leaving to Japan, Skye decided to visit with her family on March 31st, 2008 and it was likely to say goodbye. None of her family had any idea that the following day she'd be getting on a plane to Japan. During the visit, everything seemed normal at the time, though now Megan is able to identify some things that may have been clues to Skye leaving. For example, Skye asked her mother to make her favorite cookies. Chocolate with a cream cheese icing. It was like she wanted to be able to have them one last time. And she had even mentioned something along those lines to Megan, who thought it was a bit weird but didn't think too deep into it. Skye told her family that the following day, she was going to be going to spend a few days at her friend's dorm room. And when they said goodbye, no one was any wiser of what would really be happening the next day. Now, the following day is April 1st, 2008, the day that Sky gets on the flight to Japan with a one-way ticket in hand, which in itself is incredibly strange, that they would let her go to Japan without a return flight booked. A lot of airlines won't allow this. They won't even let you board the plane. But then to arrive in Japan with no returning flight, I'm pretty surprised that they didn't just deport her right there. Japan is very strict with their immigration laws. A lot of people want to move to Japan, but it's already so densely populated here that you have to jump through hoops in order to get residency. It's the same with visiting. The current requirements to enter Japan as an American citizen require you to have a valid passport and an onward or return ticket for visa free stays of up to 90 days. She wouldn't have needed a visa as she was likely just visiting less than 90 days. But all of the sites that you look at say that you do need a return ticket booked. That's current as of today, but I'm not certain what the requirement would have been in 2008. Of course, this also doesn't mean that it's always enforced, clearly as Sky was able to slip through the cracks. The website where it lists all of the different requirements also states that Japanese immigration officers may deny you entry if you appear to have no visible means of support which makes me wonder if maybe Skye was meeting someone in Japan who said that they would be purchasing her return ticket or taking care of her while she was visiting. Or perhaps they had purchased a return ticket for her, but it was never used. All that we do know is that Sky did not purchase a flight home or to anywhere else outside of Japan. Most North American people who travel to Japan for the first time usually go straight to Tokyo. They may branch off from there, visiting other prefectures and attractions, but usually Tokyo is the central hub they visit. Tokyo has anything and everything you can imagine, especially the kind of things that Sky was interested in. Akihabara in central Tokyo is famous for its attractions designed with anime and game lovers in mind. It definitely would have been on Sky's list of must-sees, but strangely enough, sky didn't stay in tokyo when she landed at the airport in japan she did land in tokyo but she got on another connecting plane to go to hokkaido which is located in the northernmost part of japan now in april hokkaido is cold and even sometimes snowy it's a beautiful spot but it isn't flashy like tokyo and it's definitely not as english friendly as tokyo is Sky had taken Japanese language courses for three years, so that definitely would have helped, but I still can't make sense of just skipping over Tokyo and going straight to Hokkaido. It's mostly quiet, it's much smaller, not in mass because it's actually a huge area, but it has a much smaller vibe. Not as many things to see and do, especially for someone who loves anime and manga. So why would Sky want to go to Sapporo? It's I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factor's chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like calorie smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian-approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. The day that Sky went missing, the day that she got on that flight to Japan, her sister Megan had this overwhelming, terrible feeling that something was wrong. She had this throbbing in the back of her brain that just wouldn't go away. At one point, the pain became so bad that she went into the hospital for testing, and at that time it was ruled a migraine. But something in the universe was telling her that her whole world had changed, but she could have never guessed what it was. During that time, Megan realized that she hadn't seen Sky around or heard from her in a little while. Sky was supposed to be staying at a friend's dorm, so no one really thought anything of it. And Sky was hugely introverted, so it's kind of what us introverts do we disappear from the world whenever we need a break and we just show back up when we've recharged a bit. But after a little while, Sky's family began to ask each other, you know, has anyone seen Skye? And they all realized that they hadn't. So they phoned around to a few of her friends, and no one had seen her the last few days. Getting a hold of Sky or even just attempting to contact her at all, proved to be difficult. She didn't have a cell phone, so they had no way of calling her. And like I said, she didn't really use social media, at least that her family knew of. So that wasn't an option either. Out of pure luck, her email password was saved on her brother's computer. So her family decided it was time to log in to look at her latest history to see if they could find anything that would direct them to where Sky was at. They logged in, and they were shocked to see that she had booked a one-way ticket to Japan for April 1st. Megan realized that when she had had that terrible migraine, it was when Sky had gone on the plane and left their lives forever. As a side note, Megan says she gets the same migraine every April 1st. Now, after calling the local police, Sky's family did some digging in her email account to see what else they could find, any clues as to where she was in Japan, why she went there, how she got there. And in her drafts, she had an unsent email that was going to be sent to a friend of hers. It had vibes of either starting over or committing suicide, and it included a list of things that she was leaving behind for people. Side note here, They never found any of those items on the list that she was leaving behind. The email was also never finished, it was never sent, it was just left in the drafts, and the way it was written, it seemed as if it was rushed. This email was addressed to a classmate named Brittany Davis. Brittany would tell police that she and Skye had argued just one week before she vanished. In one of the last interactions the friends had, Skye told her that her Japanese sucked. To this day, it's unclear what the intent of that email was, if it was actually a suicide note or more of a goodbye, I'm starting over type message. And why was it never sent? It's just another question that adds to the mystery surrounding Sky's disappearance. If you read any of the media publications, they all point directly to it being a suicide note, but that has never been confirmed. Now that Skye's family at least had a direction or a clue of where to look for her, the real search began, and it came with a lot of hurdles. They spoke with the powers that be who worked at the airport that Skye flew out of, and unfortunately, they were pretty much no help. They wouldn't help with providing surveillance video footage or really any other information because Skye was an adult, except to say that their records show that Sky did in fact get on the flight, and maybe they should check around the parking garage for her car. Which they did, and they found. It didn't appear that Skye took much with her, and she didn't leave much behind either. Her computer was missing, so it's assumed that she took it with her. Her Nintendo DS was also missing. She never had a cell phone or credit cards. She didn't take a jacket or anything. Her jacket was actually found left in the car along with some other random belongings. It looked like she had just gone on a plane and went off to Japan with very little preparation. With $800 in cash that she withdrew from her bank account and pretty much only her laptop in hand, off she went to Japan. So, Megan and her mom decided to follow her over to Japan, and as you can imagine, the whole investigation was messy, complicated, and difficult. According to Megan, the trail went cold very quickly. The Japanese police didn't appear to take much action. Sky was an adult, after all, who decided to go to Japan on her own free will. The U.S. ambassador, at that time to Japan, unfortunately wasn't all that helpful either, according to Megan. While in Hokkaido, the ambassador told them that it might be a good idea to hand out flyers with Megan's description and photo on them. But unfortunately, that didn't work out so well. It's not a terrible idea if you think about it. Sky would have definitely stuck out in the crowd in Sapporo, but from my own personal experience in Japan, Japanese people are not likely to take anything that you're handing out. Now, I've lived in Tokyo for three years now, and in the cooler months, you'll often find people handing out free tissue. You know, those little packs of Kleenex. And I personally always take them because of how handy they are, especially as a mom with little ones. So, you know, it's great to always have a pack of tissues in my purse. Of course, these free tissues have some sort of small advertisement in the package, but you just take the tissues and you walk away. The people handing them out aren't there to try and sell you something or harass you. They're literally just handing out the tissues. Yet, I hardly ever see anyone take the free tissues. Because things in Japan are quite different culturally. And here, it's almost like you're making a commitment by taking whatever is being handed out. So, for example, the tissues with the ads on the back, people might feel more obligated to buy something or even just to pay attention to the advertiser. Now, in the case of handing out a missing persons flyer, for a Japanese person to take the flyer they might feel like they need to maybe commit to helping find this person or engage with the person handing out the flyer. I hope that makes sense. Megan said that handing out the flyers was pretty much a flop. People weren't taking them and of course there is a language barrier. In a big city like Tokyo you would have an easier time communicating. Some people do know English and you can get by for sure but in places like Hokkaido, English is much more rare, especially when we're talking back in 2008. So I can only imagine how frustrating it would have been. Megan and her mother wound up flying to Tokyo to hold a press conference because that's where all of the major media is located. You can still find some articles from Japanese publications floating around online. I'm not sure how much coverage Sky story received in Japan because I wasn't living here at the time but after speaking with several expats who did live in Japan in 2008, including a few that lived in Tokyo and even a few that lived in Sapporo, it seems that there were a few that remember Skye's disappearance and definitely more than a few who had never heard of her, which surprised me, especially because many of them were living in Sapporo, and it's not every day that a young white woman from America goes missing in Japan. Now, Sky was last seen outside of an inn in Nubori-betsu, southern Hokkaido. She had checked into the inn on April 7th, so just a week after arriving in Japan. The person who spotted her reported that she appeared to be in good spirits, and she even mentioned that she was planning to travel to Sapporo. Now, as I mentioned previously, Sky had withdrawn $800 in cash to take with her on the trip, And reportedly, she had booked this in herself and had been enjoying touristy type things in the area. Things like shops, spas, restaurants, and other attractions. Today, $800 wouldn't go that far, but back in 2008, maybe. Japan is still generally pretty expensive, and with no way for her to generate income, it wouldn't have been long until she ran out of money. And remember, Sky didn't have a credit card. After the sighting at the inn in Noboribetsu, Sky kind of dropped off the map. We don't know if she made it to Sapporo like she had planned, or where she went after checking out of the inn. She's never made contact with any of her family since leaving for Japan, so they're left to kind of try to fit the pieces together. We do know that Sky loved everything about Japan and spoke of wanting to see the cherry blossoms, which would have begun to bloom mid-April to mid-May. It tends to be on the later side in Hokkaido. We don't know if she made it to see them. We don't know if she met someone either maybe online before traveling to Japan or maybe even while on the flight to Japan or while she was in Japan. We don't know how or why she was allowed to stay in Japan with only a one-way ticket in hand. But what we do know is that Skye was very introverted and really just quite shy. This would have been a huge ordeal to get on a plane by herself and travel across the world to a foreign country, even if it is a country that she was fascinated by. Which begs the question, did she meet someone here in Japan? Did she have help either getting here or once she arrived? And where did she stay before checking into that inn in Hokkaido on April 7th? Now, if you look at online forums and even news publications, they all seem to insinuate the same thing, that Skye likely came to Japan to end her life. And along with that comes the speculation that, oh, maybe she went to the suicide forest, which has been made famous in anime and movies. I highly doubt that she made it there. It's in Yamanashi Prefecture. If she wanted to go there, she would have stayed in Tokyo and had to travel to the base of Mount Fuji in Yamanashi, which is about a two-hour car drive from Tokyo. From there, she would have needed to get a ride to the forest because it's very isolated. Skye was last seen nowhere near this area, so the chances of that happening are pretty slim. Now, it's the not knowing that hurts Skye's family. If Sky either chose to end her life or start a new one, her family would just like to know because it's equally possible that neither of these things happened. And if there was foul play, Sky deserves justice and her family deserves those answers. One of the videos that Megan posted in regards to her sister's disappearance that really broke my heart the most was hearing her talk about how her parents still had to receive and pay Sky's student loans each month. They were her co-signers, and so even after Sky had disappeared, they would receive a bill each month and be reminded that their daughter was missing, and they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't make it stop unless she was declared dead, and if she's declared dead, well, then the missing person's investigation stops. That's just one small part of the nightmare of not knowing what happened to Sky. something that most of us just don't even really consider in speaking with Megan and listening to her story about her sister it sounds like she's gearing up to make waves and get this investigation going again and that's why I really wanted to share this story on my podcast now I might not have the biggest platform but I do have a tiny voice here in Japan and if I can help in any small way then I feel like I need to do that Now, with that said, please go follow Megan on TikTok and listen to her because as Sky's sister, this is truly her story to tell. Remember, her username is Megan LeBron, all one word. And again, I'm going to include a direct link to Megan's account in my show notes so it's easy to find. I want to end tonight's episode with a clip from Megan's TikTok that she's given me permission to share. Megan has said several times that if her sister has simply wanted to get away and start a new life, she wouldn't be mad at Skye, and she wouldn't even need an explanation from her. Most people can't understand why or how she would feel this way, but I think hearing the answer directly from Megan herself just bolsters the need for answers. Whatever the answer is,
1: her family deserves a conclusion. It's not that I wouldn't want an explanation as to why she left. It's just that time has taught me to look at it a little differently. She left and I have an emptiness now. And I've been living in this state of not knowing for over a decade. I've learned to adapt here. I'm comfortable here now. And that's not on her to fix that for me I know that sounds a little crazy because you're like well that's the root cause of it yeah but I am only responsible for how I feel if she felt scared or ashamed or just I mean I don't know what she would feel but whatever she feels she doesn't need to justify that to me she's an adult I can't be mad at her for her choices. That would be my problem, not hers. So I would just have to respect it. I would just wanna know that she's okay, that she's alive, or if she's dead. Of course I'd want more answers then. But this is if She's alive and I see her again. I would respect her choices. I would have to. Because maybe there was something happening that I didn't know. And she kept it a secret. Or she was ashamed. And I would just want to be there to support her and help her through whatever she needed. Without judgment. Without my anger or my disappointment or anything like that because it's not that anymore. I don't feel mad at her. I'm not disappointed in her. What she did turned me into a better person, so I would thank her for that. It hurts, of course, but I can handle it. I wouldn't need to project my trauma onto her. She wouldn't need to explain anything to me, not if she didn't feel comfortable. I just want to give her a hug and tell her that I'm there for her. And that's it.
0: That's it for me tonight. I would like to once again thank tonight's sponsor, the Cold Case channel on YouTube. Check it out. It features unsolved mysteries posted every Monday through Friday focusing on unsolved crimes and mysteries you've probably never heard of, which is why it is so important that they get the attention they deserve. Go give their videos a like and make sure you subscribe to their channel so you're updated with the latest cases. And keep an eye on Megan's TikTok for the latest in Skylyn Budnick's disappearance because she's just an incredible human being and you can't help but just want to throw everything you can into this. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper. I tweet there all the time, mostly random stuff and some latest updates in any of the cases I've covered. Or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. And if you're listening on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, don't be a dommer. Bye.